are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. With us tonight to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32. Deuteronomy, chapter 32. And uh, I'm going to begin reading verse 1 and read the first 14 verses. Now, I don't have the time to deal with the chapter in this way tonight because actually I'm taking the text out of the chapter. But this chapter is one of the most tremendous chapters in the Bible. If you'll take the time to read it, you will see that some of the verses that I shall read tonight, I think from verse 6 through verse 12, have to do with God's dealing with the children of Israel during the time of the Pentateuch. If you'll take the time to read it and study it, you'll find starting with verse 13 for a number of verses, it has to do with God's dealing with his people during the days of the kings, another period in the Bible. You'll even find in this chapter, prophetically, or you'll find Pentecost in it, because you'll find the day when God turns to a people hitherto unknown, that's to the Gentiles. This is a wonderful chapter. I mean a tremendous, wonderful part of the Word of God. But I want to read from it tonight, take a text, and not try to deal with the different sections of the chapter. I talked to you this morning on the subject of distress, or stress, and how God uses it, and how God deals with it. I want to try to talk to you tonight on disturbances in the life of a Christian, and how God sends them, and how God uses them, and how God ordains disturbances in the life of a Christian. Now, you may think that sounds funny, but let's um, look at the Word of God in Deuteronomy chapter 32, Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain, my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass. Because I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe ye greatness unto our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment. A God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right is he. They have corrupted themselves. Their spot is not the spot of his children. They are a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? Is not he thy father that hath bought, bought thee? Hath he not made thee and established thee? You notice in this verse, God does not say, Is he not thy father who hath made thee? But is he not thy father who hath bought thee? Because we only become a child of God through his purchase, by his precious blood on the cross. Hath he not made thee and established thee? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. 
Ask thy father, and he will show thee. Thy elders, and they will tell thee. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. I'm going to read that verse again. It's not may not sound really exciting to you, but here's a verse that tells of God's plan throughout the whole Bible. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. And um, like it or not, understand it or not, God's book is largely about two elected groups of people. One of them is Israel. The other of them is the church, his body. But this whole Bible, the fabric and structure of God's Word, if it's be understood, we must see God's dealing with his chosen people, the Jew. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. My, what a wonderful, wonderful verse. He found him. He led him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As the eagle stareth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings, so the Lord alone did lead him. And there was no strange God with him. He made him ride on the high places of the earth, that he might eat the increase of the fields. And he made him to suck honey out of the rock, and out of the flinty rock, butter of kine and milk of sheep, and with fat of lambs, and rams with the breed of Bashan, and goats with the fat of kidneys of wheat. And thou didst drink the pure blood of the grape. And I want to reread two verses. Take one as our text tonight. And I want to speak to you on disturbance in the life of a Christian. As we tried to speak this morning on the matter of distress, our stress, as you hear so much about in this day and hour in which we live. Verse 11, He found him in a desert land, and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Now here's our text tonight. And thinking about God allowing, and not only allowing, but God bringing disturbances into the life of the child of God. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings, so the Lord. 
And I'm, I'm using this as a text tonight. You know, if we are to understand all that God is doing with us, we're going to have to learn to, to interpret from the Bible some tremendously earthly illustrations that teach such heavenly and wonderful lessons. That's largely what the parables of the Bible are. It's God taking something earthly and teaching tremendous heavenly and spiritual truths from these earthly illustrations. And such is the case tonight. God is using the eagle's nest as a lesson to us about disturbances that God brings into the life of a Christian. If you're already starting to dread to hear the subject disturbances in the life of a Christian, let me remind you first of all that the chapter from which I've read is a great song. In the previous chapter in the 19th verse, you find that God commanded Moses to write a song. When you get out to the end of the Bible, chapter 15 and verse 3 of the book of Revelation, you read they sang the song of Moses and the Lamb. So this is a great song. So do not fear what we're talking about tonight. God bringing disturbances in the life of a Christian for a purpose. Now the Bible's filled with illustrations. There are many times in the Bible when God disturbed people in order to accomplish his purpose. I spoke this morning on the deliverance from Israel out of Egypt, among other things in the scripture that we read. You just think about Israel down in Egypt for 30, for 400 years or better. And suppose that down in Egypt, these people of God had found it easy and comfortable. Suppose they had thrived. Suppose that they had made great wealth in the land of Egypt. They had never cried to God. They had never sought deliverance. I know that God always works out his purpose, but the people down in Egypt were disturbed and suffering, and they were like slaves to the Egyptians. And because God stirred them up, they one day, the Bible said, they cried unto the Lord, and the Lord heard their cry, and God sent them a deliverer. So don't be afraid of the matter of disturbances. I think of a man by the name of Nehemiah. And a lot of times in Christian people want to write books on Christian leadership. They go to the book of Nehemiah and take Nehemiah as a great Bible example of a great leader who got the job done in spite of all opposition. But you know, when I start to read the book of Nehemiah and read about this great man whom God used, I read of a man that was weeping, and I read of a man who had a broken heart, and I read of a man who was going through a great period of disturbance in his life. That's what caused the king to notice him. The king looked at him and said, Nehemiah, your countenance is sad. And it was because Nehemiah was going through a period of great disturbance in his life. That's the reason that God brought a rich monarch into the picture.
to give him his freedom, to furnish him with materials, to go back and rebuild the walls and hang the gates in the desolated city of Jerusalem. I'm saying to you that disturbances are God's, God's way and purpose in the life of a Christian. I think of Abraham, who lived in the air of the Chaldees. Now, you know, you just read in the Bible, in the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis, God said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy father's house, and from thy kindred, unto a land that I will show thee. And the Bible just plainly says, and Abraham departed, and we just read it and we take it like that. But I want you to remind you tonight that Abraham was a famous, well-known man, he and his family, in the air of the Chaldees. But one day God stirred up his nest, and God said to him, I don't want you in air of the Chaldees, I want you in the land of milk and honey, and I want you to be the father of my people, the nation of Israel. And God stirred up the family of Abraham so that they went out of the land and into the land of promise and into the land of Canaan. So disturbances, that leads me to my first thought tonight, that disturbances are of God. And you read here, as the eagle stirreth up her nest and fluttereth over her young and spreadeth abroad her wings and taketh them, beareth them on her wings, so the Lord. Notice those words in the Scripture, so the Lord. The Lord sometimes stirs up situations and disturbances are of the Lord. The Bible plainly teaches. Now you know, a lot of folks think that uh, when a person becomes a Christian, they're going to live what the world, what some folks might call the ideal life. And the Christian life is the ideal life. There's no life in the world like being a Christian. I tell you, I don't think you and I behold the wonder of being a child of God. Being a member of the royal family and walking as a child of God, born again and heaven bound. I don't think you and I have had even a glimpse of how wonderful it is to be a Christian. But you know, the Christian life, in spite of the fact it is the ideal life, the Christian life is a life of struggle and conflict. Go to the Bible. I think of Jesus. Jesus came into a world that he made. Every drop of water in it, every flower that bloomed, every tree that grows, every animal that breathes, he made them all. And when he came to this world, the Bible says, he had no place to lay his head. I think of the Apostle Paul. Paul the Apostle Paul, among many other things, oh, one of his chapters would make the hardest heart in the world to weep. He talked about the beatings and the shipwreck and the forsakings that he'd gone through in all the disturbance. And then he said, having no certain dwelling place, Paul knew what it was to have disturbances in his life. Some places he went, there were riots. When Paul went to the city, he didn't say, where is the motel? 
He said, where is the tail? Because he knew just shortly that's where he was going to wind up. And he often did. What I'm saying to you tonight is that disturbances come from the hand of God to work out the purpose of the Lord in the life of a Christian. Why, you take the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, greatest book on prophecy in the, of the whole 66 books of the Bible. Why was it written? How was it done? Because one day God brought disturbance to the life of a man called the beloved John. And society rejected him. And the enemies of the Lord set him aside and put him on a lonely, uninhabited, rocky isle called Patmos. And John, in the midst of a great disturbance in his life, said it was on the Lord's day. And the Lord appeared to him and gave him the book of Revelation. So I'm saying to you tonight, I believe that the Bible teaches that God is in the disturbances of life, and God has a purpose to work out. You know, I think the text tonight, the eagle fluttering over her nest, stirring up this nest, getting the young out of it, say to me that disturbances come because of reluctance to do the right thing in the first place. And sometimes when God is dealing with a Christian, and he can't get that Christian to do the right thing, sometimes God brings a disturbance in that Christian's life. And through that disturbance, God deals with that Christian and gets him to do what he should have done in the first place. You've read in the Bible the burning of Joab's field. Absalom was the king's son. And Absalom's fields joined the fields of Joab. Absalom had been in exile because of killing his own brother. He'd been back in Jerusalem two years. He's the king's son and has not seen the king's face. And he wants to see his father David's face. So he sends for Joab. Joab doesn't come. He sends for him and he doesn't come. He sends for him and he doesn't come. So Absalom said to his servants, Go over there and set this wheat field on fire and burn it to the ground. And so the servants of Absalom did. They burned Joab's field. Joab came running to Absalom then and said, Why did you burn my field? And Absalom said, Because you didn't come when I sent for you. Do you know God knows how to burn down a Christian's field. And God knows how to bring disturbance to a Christian and to make him do what he ought to have done in the first place. Now what the mother eagle is trying to do is to teach her eagle, her little eaglets to fly. And that means launching out into the unknown. You see, a little eaglet has never known anything but the nest. And from her mother's own, own mouth and her own, own feet and claws, the little eaglet has never known anything but that nest and every necessity provided by that mother eagle. But that eagle needs to fly. And little eagles are reluctant 
to leave the high mountain top and fall out into the unknown space. And so, Mother Eagle must stir up that nest. I read one of the most interesting things. It's written by what, uh, by what the world would call a naturalist, or a person that makes a great study of nature. This was written, the thing that I read was written by a man that with a very good telescope could go to a certain place and put his telescope on, a, on an eagle's nest and watch what was going on. Day after day, this naturalist would go and put the, the telescope high up on the mountain where he was, and he'd focus it across on the eagle's nest. He said that one day he saw this scene. He said instead of two eaglets in the nest, there was only one. And he surmised that one of the eagles had already left the nest, was already gone, and he said he could hear the faint cry of a young eagle somewhere soaring in this unknown world to which he just launched out. And he said what he surmised was that the eagle that had already left the nest is calling to the other eaglet, come out of the nest, for you were made to fly. But the eaglet, he said as he watched, continued to sit on the edge of the nest. He said as he observed, here comes Mother Eagle. And in her talons, she holds food. And he thinks, Mother Eagle is going to feed this eaglet. But she doesn't. She dangles this food, hovering, fluttering over the nest, but releases not one bite of it. Then she flies off again and, and waits and soars and then comes back again and flutters with these, this food in her talons. And she's saying, follow me, launch out, get off of the nest and I'll give you this food. But it doesn't work. The little eaglet, he said, sat on the edge of the nest. Then he said he saw the mother eagle coming with a mighty swoop from in back of the little eaglet. And he said he saw the mother eagle hit that nest and debris and bits of branches and feathers and went flying everywhere. And little eaglet himself knocked out in the world that was unknown to him. He said he watched this proceeding. said he saw the little eaglet try his best to fly, to fly, to fly. It looked like he was not going to be able to fly. He folded his feathers and somehow or another was tilted head down. And it looked as if he were going to hit down to the rocks and destruction below. But he said all of a sudden the mother eagle came swooping under the little eaglet. And for it said, he said, it seemed like a split second, the little eaglet sat on the mother's, on the back of the mother's body for a moment, regained its head, and regained its composure, and then out from under him again went the mother, and the little eaglet, eaglet spread its wings and began to fly. And what God is saying, eagles many times do not fly 
unless the, the nest is stirred. And sometimes, duh, it even has to be destroyed before eagles learn to fly. And oh, my dear friend, I've lived long enough, and so have most of you, to see that God brings disturbances into the lives of Christians. Sometimes God tears up the nest with sickness, with pain, with grief, with sorrow, and with losses of a thousand descriptions. Why? God is trying to teach the Christian, launch out. You know, God wants us to be airborne, not earthbound. And to be airborne, so to speak, as Christians, it means the exercise of faith. We have to exercise faith and launch out even into the unknown and trust God. God never meant for his people to be an earth-bound people. But God's people are an airborne people. You see, disturbances are of God. Strange, isn't it? Isn't it strange to say that these heartaches and heartbreaks and the nest torn to pieces are of God? Now, disturbances always have a purpose. For one thing, this mother eagle wanted that little eagle, eaglet to learn to absolutely abandon its own will. Its will is to sit perched and watch other eagles fly. But what the mother eagle wants is total abandonment. I mean, leave the nest and soar out when there's nothing under you but a loving mother eagle. And you know, that's what God wants. God wants people who are willing to be airborne and to go out into the unknown knowing that under them there is no one but God. And that's enough. If you have God sustaining and supporting you, that's all you need. I had a man call me, he's editor of a large religious paper uh, from another state, not the sword of the Lord, but another paper. And we were talking on the phone, he was asking me some questions, and I asked him some. And uh, he, he said to me, why do you think it is that all the Bible colleges in the United States, with the exception of maybe two or three, and some of the very greatest and famous and oldest and most renowned, why are all the Bible colleges, with the exception maybe two or three in the whole country, the enrollment is going down instead of up? I said, what, what is your reason for it? He gave me what he thought was very, various reasons. But I wasn't, I wasn't satisfied with him. Now, I'm not smart. In fact, he's a lot smarter than I am. But I, I, don't, I didn't buy those reasons. I'll tell you what I believe the reason is. I believe it's the environment of our churches. You see, God wants an environment in our churches, a spiritual environment, where young men are called to the ministry. And men and women are called to the mission field. 
and the environment of the church is what produces the call to the ministry. And the churches in America, the environment is not conducive to young people being called into the ministry. Oh my, what we need in America is a great avalanche of God's blessing so that literally hundreds and thousands of young men will say, I believe God wants me to launch out into the ministry. I knew a wonderful man of God, and some of you no doubt seen his name, Dr. A.W. Tozer. Dr. Tozer was not a Baptist. He was one of the most godly men I've ever known. And he was, Dr. Tozer was a strange man. In fact, I was speaking with him. We were speaking for a week at Grace Theological Seminary years ago, and I walked in a little, little hotel, uh, a little dining room in the, in the uh, hotel accommodations there, a little dining room one morning, and hardly anyone in it. And there was Dr. A.W. Tozer sitting at his table. I went over to him. I said to him, could I sit with you? He said, yes. I'd be glad to have you sit with me. He said, and he went on to say a strange thing. He said, you may not enjoy it. Because he said, I'm not known as a sociable man. And uh, I think maybe that's true. I asked him some questions. And I was speaking in another state a few, few nights ago at a, at a meeting uh, over in uh, Painesville, Ohio. And I just happened to have the Bible I had that morning. One of my red Bibles. All Bibles ought to be read. Did you get that? Oh, you're smartening up. You're getting smart all the time. But I had one of my red Bibles, and I asked him uh, two or three questions. I said, what does it take to be, well, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit and so forth? And I wrote down his remarks, and he, he asked me some questions. Are you willing to be peculiar? Are you willing to burn and not shine? He asked me some questions. I wrote it all down, and I showed it to a young man. Uh, we were sitting at the table. And I opened my Bible, and there in the flyleaf were the notes. And I told him, I said, Dr. A.W. Tozer one morning was talking to me, and I, I wrote these things down while uh, Dr. Tozer was talking to me. He said, oh, I'd give anything in the world for a copy of that. And uh, I had a letter from him since. He said, uh, please run that off on a copy machine and send it to me. I, I want that. Now, it's got nothing to do with what I'm about to tell you. You know how I am. These things come floating through my mind while I'm preaching. And I don't know what they are until I reach out and grab them and look at them. So that went... And I thought I'd better see what it was. But uh, Dr. A.W. Tozer wrote a biography of A.B. Simpson. Uh, I don't know whether you know it or not, but A.B. Simpson was kind of the father of the Missionary Alliance Church. And there was a time when the Missionary Alliance churches were nothing but a great, well, I shouldn't say nothing, but they were a great missionary society. The whole Missionary Alliance movement was a missionary movement. And Dr. A.B. Simpson was one of the fathers of that great movement. And missionaries went out by the thousands uh, all over the world. But when A.W. Tozer started to write the biography of Dr. A.B. Simpson, this great man of God, he mentioned that one time uh, A.B. Simpson 
was making $5,000 a year, and his nest was cozy. And some of you about to laugh. You say, $5,000 a year? Well, I want to tell you, friends, when I was a boy, if a person was making $100 a month, he was to talk the whole neighborhood. He'd say, you know what? Well, old Joe Hamilton over there makes a hundred dollars a month. Isn't that something? I knew that'd impress you. <laughs> Gotta hold yourselves down a little bit. But he's making five thousand dollars a year. And one day A.B. Simpson announced, God has called me to win the people of the slums of New York. And God stirring my nest. And God stirred his nest until A.B. Simpson walked out of it all. And without a promise of a dime from anyone, he devoted himself to winning people out of the slums of New York. So when A.W. Tozier wrote his biography, this is what he called it, wing spread. And he meant by that, A.B. Simpson learned to fly and to leave the nest and to soar out with no support but God under him. And I want to tell you, friend, that's what God wants. I think every father's had this experience. If you have a little boy or girl, set him up on the table. Say, now, jump to Daddy. And what children usually do is uh, they stand there with a frightened look, and they look down at the floor, and they look back, and they say, I'm scared. No, I'll catch you. Jump! And they perch there, look down at the floor, say, I'm scared. No, you know Daddy won't let you fall or be hurt. Jump! I'll catch you! And they're about ready to... But they look down at the floor, and they sometimes cry, and they say, I'm scared. But when there's a father that knows enough to say, don't look at the floor. Look at me. Just look at me. Look at me now. Don't look down. Look at me and jump. And usually the little fellow says, Daddy, here I come. And Father catches him, and every once in a while after that, every little bit, he'll run and climb up on a chair and get up on the table, reach out his little hands, and say, Father, Daddy, here I come. I want to do it again. Because I've learned to fly. Because I know that my Father will catch me. Disturbances are of God. And they're to get us to look to the Lord. Look at me. That's what God is saying. Uh, And closing disturbances lead to happiness. This sounds paradoxical. But you know, when that little eaglet uh, was tipped head downward, as the naturalist described, he's about to hit the the craggy rocks, and the mother eagle came under him, and he got his composure, found his head, and, uh, and steadied himself, and then learned to fly. And he soared around. And you know what that eagle, eagle no doubt, was saying? He was saying, I can fly. I can fly. 
I can fly. You see, he was happy then. But once he stood and he would not soar and he would not leave and he would not jump till that mother eagle pulled the nest up. Then he had no choice but he learned to fly. You know, that's what God said of the whole nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 19 verse 4. I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You ought to underscore in your Bibles, Exodus 19:4, to myself. That's what God wants. God wants us to look him right in the face and just take off and jump and let go. And I want to say something to you, and I've read a little bit about it, and so that I think what I'm saying is true. No student of nature, no naturalist, no student of nature has ever seen an eaglet fall to the ground and be killed. Never. Sparrows? Yes. Maybe other birds? Yes. No one in the whole history of the study of eagles has ever seen an eaglet hit the ground and killed, trying to learn to fly. That's why God used this as an illustration, because God has never lost the case. We didn't get somebody to launch out from the nest. No one has ever seen an eaglet fall to the ground and be killed, and no one has ever seen a Christian dare to launch out into the unknown with no support but God under him. You know, we, we better learn to fly. You know that? We had a preacher over at one of our young preachers. We had the greatest fellowship, Midwestern Baptist College Fellowship, I believe we've ever had. I tell you, I've never heard such preaching. And one, one preacher was jumping up and down like this. And he said, I'm getting practice enough for the rapture. <laughs> and you know, you better learn to fly. Because one of these days... The Lord's going to come. We're going up. I read years ago the true story. Some cruel man down in Tennessee went out one day with a high-powered rifle and saw the eagle soar, and he pulled the trigger, and the eagle came tumbling into someone else's barnyard. And the farmer went out and saw this most beautiful of all birds, this most majestic of all birds of the air. And he uh, began to doctor it. He, he caged it. He, he mended the wing and bound the wing. And he doctored it and he fed it and he took care of it. And uh, one day he took it out of the cage and he put a chain around one of its legs and the eagle would sometimes move his wings as if to fly. But he was chained. And they, they said that every once in a while, way high, an eagle would come soaring and give the eagle call. And the eagle in the barnyard would look up and move his wings and want to fly, but he's chained. 
One day the good man that doctored him, nursed him back to health, went out and, and took the chain from off his limbs. And, and it wasn't long until there came a cry from above, another eagle call. And the eagle then was free and he stretched his wings and he left the barnyard and he soared and he circled and he soared until he joined his mate in the sky. You know, sometime the Lord's going to come. And thank God we're going to be set free from all these bindings of earth. And we're going to fly to our lover in the sky. And you know, friend, eagles don't like barnyards. Eagles weren't made for the barnyard. They were made for the lofty heights. And so were you and I. Oh, when disturbances come, it's to teach you to fly and to get you out of the nest and learn to live with no support under you but the support of God. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.